Be sure to friend us on Facebook. You can do it right now. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for us at keyword Voice America. The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit VoiceAmericaVariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit VoiceAmerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Patricia Raskin Positive Living, the program that brings you practical and inspiring principles for living more authentic, engaging, and passionate lives. Created by Patricia Raskin, a catalyst for positive change. All comments, views, and opinions are solely those of the host, guest, and callers. And now, with Patricia Raskin Positive Living, here's your host, Patricia Raskin. Hello, everyone, and welcome. Welcome to Patricia Raskin Positive Living right here on Voice America, America's Voice. I have such an interesting guest today. We are talking about the world of art as private dealing and collecting and being a gallery owner. My guest is Leonard DeMeo. He enjoyed a 30-year career in education before devoting himself full-time to the art world as a gallery owner, private dealer, and collector. He's received scholarships, research grants, and national awards, including grants to Columbia and Princeton Universities. He was awarded Freedom Foundation's highest honor, the George Washington Medal, and was recently knighted by a European royal house. Selections from his collection have been borrowed by major galleries, and one piece journeyed across the high seas to Monaco, Monaco for a royal-sponsored exhibit. Wow. Welcome, Leonard. Boy, you make me sound so good, I want to take myself out to lunch. Yeah, well, this is very impressive. Now, your book is The Artful Dodger, Collecting and Investing in Fine Art Without a Spare Million in Pocket Change. So explain how you got involved in this. Uh, you know, life throws you a lot of curves. And I was teaching uh, school in Enfield, Connecticut. I had been an assistant music supervisor in Wilbraham, Mass., and met my wife and came down to, back to Connecticut, my home state, and uh, a fight broke out in one of the schools I was teaching in, and I went to help a lady teacher, and next thing I knew, I was embroiled uh, in a ring of students throwing punches, trying to duck and separate them. I did, slipped, they fell on top, and me smashed my shoulder, and it had uh, ended up with major surgery and a permanent disability, uh, but it really restrained. I was a percussionist in doing conducting on the side, and it really restrained uh, the sensitivity uh, once I went beyond uh, a few minutes. So I had a passion for the art. I was brought up in a family, an extended family, where music and art were just all always around. And I assumed uh, everybody lived like that. My mother was a piano teacher. And uh, from that moment on, I said, I can't leave the arts. I want to find something. And uh, even though I had a natural ability for finances, I um, uh, segued and went back to school and took a six-year in fine art and fine art management, and I already had degrees and majors in history, so it was a natural. Wow. And so you really love it. What do you love most about it? I mean, it's a high-risk game. You know, these you are know, not inexpensive pieces. Yeah, <laughs> and, and part of that problem is that people see it as a high-risk game, and it's promoted, and every time you read an article... 
the uh, thrust of that article is uh, this multi-million dollar painting uh, went at Christie's, uh, uh, Sotheby's, sets new records. And, and granted, a lot of those uh, paintings are out of touch and out of sight for the average person. However, there's always contemporary artists moving on to the next step and becoming known. And uh, I think my eyes opened up. I mentioned this in the book. Uh, I happened one night to see a local auction house, um, uh, and I decided to go. And I saw a lot of well-heeled people there that I knew. And when the bidding start, uh, started, they, they were bidding on all the wrong things. And I ended up coming home that night with a signed and numbered catalog edition. But what I mean by that is that you can look it up, Matisse, in mint condition. And I think including the 15% in tax and everything, it came to about $180. And I said to myself, what just happened? I mean, there were people there that could outbid me. Uh, they certainly were <laughs> in a better position than I as a school teacher. And I started investigating, and that was the beginning. That was the crack in the dam. Now, before I go any further, let me just throw you two things that the average person can do right away and make mm-hmm. money in fine art. When your local yeah. museum has a famous artist, uh, uh, anybody, let's take like Red Grooms. He's alive, and he comes to your museum. They always issue a poster. Well, buy several of those posters and ask them to courtesy sign it. And mm, you'd be surprised overnight those posters double and triple in value. Wow. So Something I, I the average person a, wouldn't think about. Yeah. Well, unfortunately, I made that mistake when I was going. Uh, I went to an exhibit at the Boca Museum, and I mentioned that <laughs> to a couple people, and they went and took my posters that were signed. <laughs> So, um, uh, and another thing is, uh, and I haven't followed this in some time, almost any Disney full-size poster will double within two years in value uh, and triple, particularly if it's a big film that was a hit from, uh, you know, I guess Snow White or any of the contemporary ones that he's doing now. Well, talk about some other ways that people can get involved, because when people see this or read the book, The Artful Dodger, and collecting and investing in fine art, they think that it's going to take a lot of money. And you just mentioned one way where you have somebody sign a poster. Some other ways, Leonard. Uh, Well, one of the things that um, you have to be careful of, and because it's a double-edged sword, a lot of these what I call road shows show up, and they usually hook themselves up with some ladies organization and the big thing is I'm going to tell you that you know you can uh, buy a Dolly or a Picasso or uh, some famous name and they're very clever at throwing those names out and they're usually plate signed if anything if you want a plate signed piece just take a dollar bill out of your pocket and that's plate signed mm. um, one of the reasons uh, um, I-, I tend to uh, find a lot of pieces um, is because I look where everybody else isn't looking, and that's one of the keys. Uh, I'll go to consignment shops, believe it or not, in certain areas. I will go to uh, antique stores because the main thrust of the antique stores is antiques, and fine art usually is a supplement to round out the package. Yes. And I have found so many good pieces in both those areas. And um, uh, did you, did you see? I just want to ask you if you saw recently on the news 
there was a bowl that looked like really nothing, looked like a clay bowl, and it was worth millions of dollars. Did you see that on the news? No, I didn't, but I'm a little bit leery of that because there's usually no follow-up on those great finds. For instance, um, uh, I read something about some guy that found something in a garage in a box, and it was supposed to be worth $30 million by this so-called very famous artist, and, and I didn't recognize the artist. I never heard about it again. Um, in my case, uh, I've done it dozens and dozens and dozens of times. Uh, on the cover of the book is a Salvatore Dali uh, original that has been authenticated. Let me stress, I have six Dalis found almost all the same mm-hmm. way, and it's been authenticated either by Ducharme or Albert Fields when he was alive. It's in the Dali register. Uh, that uh, th- that was found in a garbage bag, and my my whole point is, if you look where other people aren't looking, another great place is uh, a place, excuse me, to find art is at these familiar shows, these paper shows. I shouldn't hmm. be even telling people this because many of the dealers there are more taken up with manuscripts and documents. And I remember one of the greatest things I found, a couple of greatest things I found, was a book with a drawing on it by Dale Chihuly. And another one, uh, I think it was, I'm going to say, Picasso, that came with authentication and probably purchased for less than 2% of the value now. Oh, amazing. How do you really find out for sure? You know, you were saying... Sometimes people get a find and they hear that it's worth $50 million, but it really isn't. How do you really know for sure? Well, that's where the detective part comes in. You have to, for instance, I'm very lucky that the Wadsworth Athenaeum, uh, which I belong to, I belong to maybe four or five museums, has a research laboratory. I usually head right there and look up cat, uh, catalogs and you look up referencings and um, for instance, um, on eBay, that dastardly eBay, <laughs> uh, which I talk about in the book, um, there was listed a Norman Rockwell drawing. And most people passed over it because it really wasn't described right and it was signed in yeah. the initial. Well, I, um, and then it said something about came from New York State. So um, I took a chance because it looked good. I recognized uh, the the drawing as coming from a, a cover, and I think the title was Hobo Stealing a Pie, and it's very famous, and the dog is laughing at his uh, rear end. And I, I spent about six months. I, I did get it. I spent about six months uh, tracking down the history of that piece, and it turned out the people who bought that piece were originally from Massachusetts, moved out to California, didn't know anything about it. It was left to them by their parents and put it up for sale, and the address was California, and it said something about New York State. Well, the missing link was uh, Norman Rockwell lived in New York State before moving right down to the end of the uh, Mass Turnpike to move to Massachusetts. And so I uh, called up the museum, and museums, rightly so, do not like to authenticate pieces because they can get sued, and they said, we will send you to our expert. But before going in, I had all my ducks in order. I knew who had bought this, when it was bought, when it had moved around the country, and when it came back prior to me buying it. It's called provenance, 
And an easy way to think of that is like a title search on a house. And when I went up there to the museum's expert, he said to me, where did you get it? And I told him, and he looked at me, he says, why don't I see things like that? And I said, um, well, you know, he said, well, it's $300, whether it's good or bad. So he went in the back room and pulled out a catalog, and he's looking at this. He says, my God, this is the original drawing that's been missing. Uh, it's, I said, well, what is it worth now? Nine to $10,000. And I said, well, that's a nice investment, you know. And uh, it is now listed in the catalog, the Norman Rockwell Museum catalog. It has a provenance. It has authentication. And that's the big mm-hmm. thing. Let me just mention provenance. Uh, let's take a Yeah, because I want, I want people to know, and people may be listening to this thinking, you know, I'd like to do some collecting, but I need some advice. And they could well, definitely contact you. I will, I will give them two things. Uh, my biggest problem was when somebody said to me, uh, when I asked me, uh, would, how do you collect? I said, well, I collected art of the 20th century. And it was a great cover, but what I didn't realize, the 20th century has so many, it's, uh, so many schools from impressionism to expressionism to, uh, WPA and regionalist, uh, 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 surrealism and, you know, abstract art. I mean, it just goes on and on. Uh, I started building a museum. So you must first, I think, the biggest mistake I made is to focus. Focus on one area. Let's take uh, maybe WPA, the Workers' Art uh, Project under the Roosevelt administration um, that uh, really ran from 1933 to 43. Well, in that period, there were two great art movements going on. In Europe, it was the high style of Art Deco. And the three big things were uh, Erte, which you can still get small paintings, and uh, the lithographs go surprisingly more if you get the right ones. The next big name is Tamara de Lampica. And the third one um, was Eichhardt, Louis Eichhardt. And of the three, uh, Louis Eichhardt was the biggest. The Wanamaker family in Philadelphia championed him. And I have a painting that came by way of Philadelphia. And um, he was as popular and made more money between the wars than Picasso. And he had fan clubs here. So those three names, and that's the next advice I, uh, I, I tell people, try to stick All with right. the big names. Now, you're not going right. to necess- necessarily get an oil. But there are drawings that are available, and there are uh, signed in number editions, and you have to do your homework and check them out. It, right, and it's fun. I mean, this started out as a hobby for you, and now it's a profession, correct? <laughs> well, it's an advocation. Uh, okay, um, I, all right. I, had, I, I wrote the book because I was diagnosed with cancer uh, late stages, and no one would believe me. They keep saying to me, I'm too healthy. And if I hadn't gone back the fourth time, I never would have known I had third-stage advanced colon cancer. And uh, doing okay. I had a slight little remission last year, but now I'm back 100%, I hope. And, uh, you, you know, I wanted to get out the message that the average person can start with different things in different places. Start small, pick a subject or a medium, whether they're all pastels, limited editions, small drawings, and also go and look in those places that no one else looks. 
I just found, um, and I mentioned this to you when I sent an email uh, to answer your question, I just found a month ago in a consignment shop uh, in Florida the original handwritten copy of Stargust. Now, I did have a little edge because... I remember uh, that very well. I remember yeah. that song very well. well. You and I maybe are the same age. So, well, yeah. let's say I'm both over 39, but my grandkids won't believe that. And they said, because uh, my mother is, uh, you know, 40. I said, okay, well, you're, I'm Catholic. You heard a virgin birth, didn't you? So, yeah. <laughs> what happened was that um, uh, I was going through this particular place I like to look. And I knew that a lot of wealthy people had donated things. I had found things there before. And I almost overlooked this because it looked like a mundane poster. And what had happened is I decided to pull it out. It was in a stack, and I decided I almost dropped it because in the center of this poster, very neatly framed, was a handwritten copy of Stardust. Well, I'm a skeptic, and I looked at it, and I says, well, wait a minute. This is not a photograph. This looks like the original thing. And then it had a, uh, uh, it was uh, donated, or was given originally to Hoagie Carmichael's son, Randy. And Randy and both Hoagie signed this piece, along with Randy as a jazz musician, and his accompanist also verified this piece. And on it, it said, this is the original, uh, this is my original handwritten copy of 1928 uh, of the tune Stardust. Well, Stardust was the most popular song in the first 50 years of uh, American pop tunes, only to be displaced the last minute uh, by Irving Berlin's White Christmas, which had the, uh, the momentum of more TV, more DVDs, et cetera, et cetera. But to musicians, it was the standard of all standards. And uh, to have that, now this, just by comparison, I think uh, autographs of George Gershwin go anywhere from 1000 up to 3000 And this is the complete manuscript that was donated to a heart ball by his son. So, I mean, there are still things out there. You just have to keep looking. Yeah. All right. All right, let's give the name of your book again and how people can find you. Well, it's called The Artful Dodger, and um, it, it's you can go to Amazon.com. I probably shouldn't say this and read a great deal of it free because it's an open-type book. You can go to Barnes & Noble and uh, uh, order it. You can go on e-books. Um, uh, I am in the middle of revising it because it was rushed. Uh, I was writing it under the um, a cloud of cancer. And um, just one more thing, just to show you sometimes, because uh, uh, people see, but they uh, you know look, but they often don't see. And one of the n- nicest and biggest finds I had, because I've done this dozens and dozens and dozens of times, was an original decooning. And uh, real quickly, uh, in the New York Times, there was a whole thing uh, quite a few years ago on modern art, and at the bottom was a cryptic message with a telephone number, and it said, Great American Artist uh, Original to be given at a reduced cost to, uh, to anyone. And it, and it had this telephone number, and I called up, and it turned out, and I talk about this in the book, 
it turned out that the fellow said to me in a very feet voice, well, you have to take a test. And I said, fine, I'm a teacher. I said, what's the test? And he said, well, can you tell me anything about uh, Thelonious Monk? Well, I almost fell on the floor because I love jazz. I had a jazz group. And he was ready to hang up, and I said, no, no, no. Thelonious Monk is an American black piano player. He wrote Monk's mm-hmm. tune around about midnight. And, you know, ten minutes later, after I went on talking about flatted fists and open sevenths and flat-fingered playing, he came back in a more <laughs> normal Brooklyn voice, and he said, you won. And I said, well, what did I win? And he said, an original painting by Thelonious Monk. Uh, excuse me. And that's all, because, that's all because you spent the extra time talking to him. Yes, you have Which may not be. have happened. I mean, that could have, you know, it would have just been, oh, okay, this is what I do, fine, goodbye. Yeah, but I mean, I found, uh, like I say, the, 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 the dolly was in a, a garbage bag, and uh, the <laughs> uh, poster was in a consignment shop. And right. uh, can I look through your garbage, by the way? <laughs> I don't know about that. <laughs> All right, so, Leonard, let's give people the information again. And um, and hopefully they'll get in touch with you. So my guest has been Leonard DeMeo. He's the author of The Artful Dodger, Collecting and Investing in Fine Art Without a Spare Million in Pocket Change. And you can be a collector, too. Um, he has really de- devoted himself to the art world as a gallery owner, private dealer, and collector after a 30-year career in education. So do contact Leonard if you have any inkling at all about collecting. He can really tell you how to do it. Thanks so much for being on the program. And thank you, Patricia. Hope to speak again. Thank you. And, and let's get your, your um, website, please. Um, well, it, um, the, the book, uh, it, like I say, is uh, on Amazon.com, the Art for Dodger under my name. Uh, they can also um, uh, find it uh, and order it through uh, Barnes & Noble or download it, I believe, on eBooks. So uh, it's available there. Okay. Thanks so much, Leonard. And thank, thank you, you, Patricia. All right. All right, folks, remember, stay healthy, stay happy, get the support you need, and know you can make your dreams come true. Until next time, I'm Patricia Raskin, Patricia Raskin, Positive Living, right here on Voice America, America's Voice. Bye for now. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by Voice America Talk Radio Network its staff, and management.